Hello, listeners, and welcome to Popscreen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are that corner of the Geek Show that likes to look at the good, the bad, and the ghoulish of movies either starring about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip-hop, from, well, from horror to horror this month, as it is the start of our Halloween month. Uh, I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a short filmmaker and a writer for Horrified Byline Times. We are cult and the Geek Show, of course, uh, where I run their Random Access Who series of randomly selected classic Doctor Who reviews. I'm joined this week by... By uh, Rob Simpson, director... No, that's wrong. The host of Directors Uncut. I almost got that wrong. The, the, the director, director of Host Uncut. Uncut. Yes. I don't know what that is, but it's... it's... <laughs> It sounds like a, a very unpleasant video call, is what that is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to fill in the blanks. I'll leave the blanks open for your listeners. But it's the other podcast on the Geek Show where we um, take a lot of movie makers and directors, put them in a big bag and pick one at random. But uh, recently on Directors Uncut, who have we had? We... We're in the middle of a Kitano sandwich, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we are um, heading into Alfonso Cuaron. Mm, very exciting stuff. It was weird watching E2 Mama Tambien again, because uh, you're yeah, similar age to me, and when we watched that as teenagers, it's like, ooh, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and you watch it back now, it's like, no, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it. I'd be more worried if you felt that way about children of men. Yeah, true. <laughs> that would be weird. Hey, speaking of uh, of sexy movies, hmm. yes, a film about your actual pornography to kick off Halloween month in the shape of Ty West's recently released slasher throwback X. Now, Ty West, with his name like a budget airline, uh, what what are your thoughts on him in general, Rob? Oh, complicated in a word, because he's he's part of that um, wave of I don't know how you describe him. Um, I think you made a joke on the episode we did about creep on directors and cut of the name creep and a certain actor that you could use for that moniker. <laughs> and Ty West is sort of in that scene. He's in that sort of indie American horror scene. It's sort of. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Mumblecore Jason's. It's well, they they called it Mumblecore. Which, thinking back to it, I mean, people have a problem with the term elevated horror, but yeah. it's no Mumblecore. Yeah, it's really bad. Fucking hell, that's a bad name for a movement. But I, I really liked Innkeepers. I think Innkeepers mm. is a quite sweet uh, movie with some good jump scares in there. Hate. Um, what was it called? The Devil, the House of the Devil. Is that right? No, that's not right. Oh yeah, is House it, of the Devil. Right? No, that was him. Yeah, yeah, it was so tedious, so very, very tedious. It was this thing that I hate so much in the horror, where it's about ninety minutes long, and seventy of it is I can't remember the name of the actor, but she's just sort of wandering around the house. <laughs> you see, sometimes I like that, but only when it's Sean Rollin. Yeah, and then there's. A really telegraphed sort of possession uh, pregnancy thing. Yeah. So You've not really earned that, behave. But apparently he's in the middle of a Westersons. That just sounds weird. Ha! Yes, yes he is. <laughs> it's funny, yeah, because for ages I always used to get Ty West confused with Adam Wingard. And for a while, mm. their careers were pretty hard to distinguish. But in the 2020s, Adam Wingard has directed Kong vs. Godzilla, was it? Uh, and Ty West has directed this. So, yeah, a pretty serious fork in the road there, I would say. Wingard, he did um, he did Your Next and The Guest, didn't he? And then he yeah. had the stupidest decision by any human being ever <laughs> um, in trying to remake uh, The Blair Witch. Yes, a film which is entirely reliant on a sense of surprise and having not been done before, so let's remake it. Yeah, but that's, that's a weird creator, actually, because you wouldn't have expected... Mm. I, I don't really know what he expected from Ty West, but I never expected him to be... I mean, 
just for clarity, a lot of people are saying this is like one of the horror films of the year. I never expected them to be in that sort of conversation. No, I didn't really. And I was thinking in, when we were building up to this, I was thinking about that mumble gore crowd and how I, I felt like their status had been comprehensively gazumped by the, again, another term I hate, but by the elevated horror crowd. You know, there is obviously a need for a horror movie that is a bit more underground and a bit more ambitious than your standard kind of multiplex jumper. Uh, And for a while they filmed that, but then people like Robert Eggers came into the game and... I'm sorry, I just love that term. Standard multiplex jumper. (laughs) 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 Lovely term. (laughs) Thank you. I should try and popularise it. Yeah, but A24, I mean, I know people have used that as a substitute to have a personality. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, yeah. That sort of filled in the gap that these people maybe opened the door for. And now he's with A24. Now this is made by A24 and it's it feels neither like a mumble gore film nor an A24 film. No, I mean it certainly doesn't feel like a Ty West film. Mm. It's, uh, no, those... it's like it's like it's the fly, isn't it? They've combined the two things and formed a third thing. Yeah. Because his movies before this and Pearl and Mac, oh, here we go. It's Maxine, but with three X's. So they're really asking people to pronounce that in a hilarious way, like Terminator Jedi Swice. It's Black Klansman all over again. Yes. (laughs) But he, those, I'm assuming, are quite like this. I mean, I've heard people describe Pearl as basically a John Waters movie. It's not done by John Waters. Oh, I'm very excited about that now, yeah. So his movies traditionally were very slow, very patient, quite chatty with um, that sort of improvisational feel yeah. that you get from uh, Mumblecar movies. But yeah, this is a bit of a left turn for him. It absolutely is, yeah. And I was drawn to it because, and it's a double-edged sword, and I know you shouldn't pay too much attention to things like that, but everyone seems to have compared it to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the Texas Chainsaw Mm. Massacre is still, in a lot of ways, the gold standard of horror for me. There are things in there that no one has ever done better. So that was kind of exciting. And like you say, not at all what I expected from Ty West. I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre comparison is really, really weird because I think it's a movie that everybody always forgets what's actually in it. Because yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't really have any murderings, doesn't really have any killings. It's all, <laughs> it's all suggestive, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's no Richard I I I. yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there is the famous story about, uh, I think it was when James Furman was the head of the British Board of Film Censors, as it was then, um, now classification. But there's a famous story about him where he watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time and found it like almost unendurably frightening, as most people do. And he went back in the next day to look at it again and outline some you know, where he could make cuts. And of course, he found out what anyone does when they watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with their eyes open is that there is next to no blood in it. So no, there's not it's really anything you can take out. It is quite funny. I mean, I think that's what uh, Toby Hooper sort of suggested it is. And you see that in the scene with the the, the, the dinner scene around the table. Mm. It's absolutely absurd. But to compare X to that, no, I just don't see it. It's just, it takes place in sort of the countryside and there's sort of um, old wooden houses. That's that's about as far as you can get, really. There's a bus early on, yes. Oh, and I a think bus that's... too. Yeah. On the bingo card of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's, <laughs> it's a whole win. <laughs> I think everyone has always seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as fundamentally a movie about a bus. So I understand why that really tipped everyone's TCM alarms, yes. Yeah, but um, it, I was surprised by how good X is. That's such that's such a horrible phrase, but yeah, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think I had more problems than you, which means this could be the best kind of podcast where it sounds like we're disagreeing a lot, but we're still friends at the end of it. 
Uh, and that movie where we fall out over this, uh, our opinion of it, I don't think it's happened yet. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet, no. Maybe if we'd done a podcast about Alex Garland's men earlier this year, I think that could have pushed it. Yeah. But... <laughs> no pop stars in that one. No pop stars in no. that. No. Oh, actually, yes, there is. Oh, of course, because Jessie Buckley released an album this year, didn't she? Oh, yeah. Tied myself into her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Coming in 2023 <laughs> on Pop Screen Listers. <laughs> I'll have to watch that again. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but I understand, I mean, with X, I mean, your reservations, I, I, I kind of know what they are before you even say them. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's interesting. See if you can predict them then. Let's demonstrate to the listeners how, how long we've been doing this for. Well, I hope it doesn't backfire spectacularly, but it's for me, I found it quite weird using a Lady Elderly as a vehicle for horror. That is one of the things, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of, I felt a bit uneasy about that. I wouldn't say uneasy it just always perplexes me a bit like obviously the worst for this and every elevated horror tick is aviaster who just like has when he wants you to be more scared he just shows you a naked old person it's like maybe it's because i'm from an nhs family but i've never found (laughs) naked old people that frightening to be honest no, I mean, where I live now, I could tell you stories about the behaviour of uh, certain <laughs> old people when they don't like other people, which the idea yes. that you're supposed to respect your elders, they don't behave respectably, believe me. Certain <laughs> quarters don't anyway, my word. The worse behaved than teenagers. Put that in your movie. That's scarier. Yeah, there's, I suppose if you want a terrifying experience with the elderly, you could just have a movie about how they go to the cinema. Because every single time I've been in a movie with a predominantly elderly audience, it's had the worst cinema behaviour you've ever heard. Just like two solid hours of, oh, it's him, he's on that thing, isn't he? <laughs> and the sandwiches, the incessant eating of sandwiches. <laughs> You'd think it would be a quiet experience because it's a soft, it's a soft eat, a sandwich. But no, it's it's just not. I I love that you said that because I can just picture the A twenty four horror movie with like the lingering shot of an old person biting into a BLT. <laughs> I can see, I can see the colour grading. Yes, you pictured that very well. <laughs> I can too. <laughs> but yeah, that is the big thing, isn't it? I mean, any movie that uses. It's it's like one of the old ones they used um, characters who were on the LGBT spectrum or had learning difficulties. They use these things to as a means for horror, and it's just it's never felt right. And I don't think X yeah. being all sort of seventies um, exploitation or vision really changes that. <laughs> I think uh, I can sort of see maybe what they're going for, because the last time there was anything like a cycle of horror movies about the elderly, it was the 60s where you had all those films like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane with uh, the nanny, which had like golden age Hollywood stars doing a, a late turn as a horror villain. And I can understand someone looking back at that and thinking, okay, those movies were made because there was a lot of generational conflict in the 60s. There's a lot of generational conflict now. Why don't we bring it back? But so far, it hasn't had the same resonance. And I think part of that is just because, you know, a lot of it is the Aviaster films where the old people and the disabled people are just used as props, really. But um it's a bit better in this. I think there's something. Yes. There's at least more characterization there. There is, yeah. I mean, uh, just to explain the plot a little, we have mm. a group of porno makers, including, I don't know, I have the full cast in front of me, Mia Goth, who's have. Uh, I have to do this for everything because it's just a gothicence, which is. Uh, she, she's a no mouthful. Mia Goth. <laughs> Hey. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good pun. Um, Kid Kid Cudi. Um, I can't remember. Brittany Snow. Oh, is that Brittany Snow? Okay, that's um, Brittany Snow. And Ariel, some Spanish actress. I can't remember. Oh, Jenna Ortega is that's the uh, one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's the other one you're thinking of. 
So then they go and they're going to make a porno because, you know, they're going to make that they're going to be famous doing this, this porn in a house out in the countryside. But the house that they rent it from, uh, the guy over the way, it's kind of like two houses on the same plot of land. Like it's a farm with an outhouse, but the outhouse is quite a decent house. So they're renting off mm. that guy. But the guy who owns on the land, he's uh, a creepy looking old guy. Uh, I think yeah. is the best way to do it. I think it's one of the younger actors, but with prosthetics on it. Certainly feels that way. And all the male, the female threat certainly is. Yes, but he has that feeling too. Um, and essentially they go about making their their porn movie, and it comes to the night, and the wife of that guy, of the guy who owns this land, decides to just start killing everybody. Because they're fruit, they're loose and, um, well, just loose with their morals. Yeah, and I, I think it is really interesting that Mia Goth has the double role, and I think that strengthens the film in a lot of ways. It allows for readings where Pearl, the old woman you mentioned, is like a, an alter ego of Maxine, the other Mia Goth character that she's represents Maxine's family or her internal repressions. Or There's a lot of fun you can have with that. And I think the film yeah. wants you to recognise that because there is that moment where Pearl shows Maxine a photo of herself when she was young. And of course, that photo of herself is just Mia Goth looking as, uh, like Mia Goth does now. And, you know, they could have easily done without that. They could have got rid of that because Mia Goth is a distinctive looking actor. And as soon as you see that photo, you think, oh, right, yes, I get it. So they're definitely nudging you to try and spot it, I think. I know some people have said I watched it without realising they were the same actor, but I don't think Ty West wants you to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's better prosthetics than certain other older movies where it's uh, had an actor ageing up. I mean, the one that always comes to mind is the J. Edgar movie. That J. Edgar, yeah. I had absolutely no idea that J. Edgar Hoover spent much of the later part of his career as an Egyptian mummy. (laughs) Well, you know, he he behaved like one, so he may as well become one. (laughs) But I, it is a fun watch. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, when it's called X, it doesn't quite go as far as you'd think it would. And it's a movie about part. I mean, maybe I've had my sort of uh, standards sort of twisted all over the place from what I've watched maybe over the years. Have, Rob. Maybe, maybe I've been corrupted. Um, degenerous. Yeah. Shocking. But the the sexy stuff isn't that sexy. It's quite tame. And the violence yeah. isn't quite—it's over the top. Well, the, the 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 sort of film within the film, the porn stuff, has that sort of wonderful, uh, understandable but wonderful problem, where as soon as the cast start having sex, the camera zooms in on their faces just like pornography famously does <laughs> i mean if you got what, you wanted a porn and you got that you'd be like what is this <laughs> this, this is terrible it's reaction shot porn it's like a, a basque starmy doing pornography just a series <laughs> of faces it's like the uh, I don't know if they still do it but they used to have like twitter and facebook and whatever accounts of like images of porn but they would drawn over it and made it look like they were doing something else <laughs> it was basically they've turned that into the real thing it's funny because when i first saw the trailer of part of me thought the trailer of or at least the, the the first trailer that i saw does not make it clear that this is a period set movie and i'm sure they've got their own witchy marketing reasons for that but i did think is this a period set movie or does Ty West think that porn is, is just shot like this? Because <laughs> based on something like The Sacrament, that would be, I think, a legitimate worry to have about a Ty West film. Yeah, I'm not saying that one. It's the, the Jonestown Massacre one, isn't it? Yeah, I've not seen The Sacrament either, but I've seen b- bits of it. And I think 
part of the problem is you have took a story that is the quintessence of only in the 70s and you've decided to make it as a modern day found footage horror which really i i can't imagine it not just showing up the degree to which this is just completely anachronistic yeah yeah but um it's it is period in the sense of it's got 70s music Mm. I think it's, it, work, it works its period elements through well. I was happy with that aspect of it, and I was happy that he seemed to have learned from that mistake. That you know, yeah. maybe if the sacrament had been a success, we'd have like a found footage movie about Edward Heath trying to deal with the Yorpet crisis. But there's everyone's pretending it's set in the present day for some reason. There's a sliding scale of um, how to do period stuff at the one end at the bad end is stranger things <laughs> it's just like it or not it doesn't particularly sell that it's in the 80s very subtly it's it's like the clip show yeah. highlight version of the 80s isn't it yeah it's like i those tv shows uh i i hate the 80s but it's got mm. sort of a, a horror movie around the sides of it I'm at the other end. I guess it's sort of Jordan Peele. His movies have that sort of 80s veneer, but he never really makes them set in the 80s. It's very, very subtle. Yeah, I always think of Tarantino when I think of that, where obviously he has started doing period set movies in recent years, but for a while, a Tarantino setting just means something like Pulp Fiction, where there's a sort of retro tone to it. There are retro interiors and retro songs played, but it never goes the full way and does an actual period setting. So it's kind of a moot point, really, with X. Because it could just be, I don't know, they're listening to classic radio because they're in a place which is sort of removed from the cut and thrust of the time. It's out in the middle of nowhere. The closest we get to any sort of pop culture besides the music is a TV show which has got um, an evangelical preacher man uh, talking about degenerates and corrupting our young people, our young folk. And you can tell that that's a period show because it's in black and white and there isn't a news chiron underneath telling you what's yeah. next on Tucker Carlson tonight. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> yeah, exactly the same shit. Yeah, I don't think the period setting affects the horror that much, but I do think it affects the, the kind of build up to it and particularly how it deals with porn. I mean, I recently watched Pleasure. Uh, that Swedish drama about yeah, the porn industry, about which that, is yeah. easily, I think, the greatest movie ever directed by a woman called Ninja. Uh, <laughs> it's a small group. <laughs> it is a small group, and I should point out that I do actually think Pleasure's pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, it's an excellent film, but that film feels like it really gets inside the modern porn industry and how it operates and what its biases is, and I would feel kind of short-changed if I saw a movie set in the present day that depicted the porn industry in the way that X does. I would, you know, that would be a significant failure in my book. So yeah. I'm happy that it's a period setting just for that, if nothing else. Yeah, it's trimmings, essentially, rather than mm. a movie about the 70s. I can't speak... I maybe it's a bit more specific in the... Other parts of this um, trilogy, but they're not released yet. So it's kind of a, it adds a different wrinkle to watching this as well. When it was released, mm. I don't think it was announced that it was part of a trilogy. But when you're watching no, I it don't now, think it was. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like what's relevant? What am I supposed to be paying attention to? Which mm. is an interesting way to watch a movie. It's odd, isn't it? I mean, despite my slight misgivings about this, I am looking forward to Pearl, if only because a slasher movie set in the 1910s is not something that I've ever seen before. That's pretty mm. interesting, I think. And the fact that some people have been comparing it to, like, is it John Walters directed it? So that's interesting. John Walters, oh, sorry. Like John Walters. I haven't even is. heard that, and I'm massively excited now, yeah. So that's interesting. I don't think it affects this too much. I think it does feel like it's standalone 
to a certain degree. Yeah, it's interesting because he wrote Pearl when this was shot in New Zealand uh, because at the time it was filmed, New Zealand was one of the only countries that was basically open and functioning. Um, But of course, you have to have a a fortnight's quarantine period on flying in. And over that fortnight, stuck in a hotel room, he wrote Pearl. And I would be interested to see how it played without that knowledge, because now a lot of people have interpreted the casting of Pearl as being, ah, well, it has to be Mia Goth in old age makeup because... They've took it. They've made a prequel where they take the old age makeup off her, and you see her as a young woman. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, that doubtless helps. It's nice that they didn't have to recast it, but I think it's more interesting to look at that piece of casting as as a discrete movie and to try and work out what it says about this movie and this story. Yeah. Also, it's nice to see Mia Goth getting um, these chances because she is an underrated actor. Mia Goth is someone who, every time I see her on screen, I just kind of fold up because I know something horrendous is going to happen to her. I think this is this 18 certificate slasher movie about the porn industry is one of the least grueling roles she has ever played in my book. Like yeah. she doesn't go through it as much as she normally does. I'll put it that way. Yeah. If it's not that, she'd be naked at some point in it too. They're the two sort of Mia Goth bingo strikes. Mostly, it's like, why choose? Why not have something horrible happen to you while you're naked? Um, (laughs) It's double dipping like that, yeah. (laughs) But it's like, she's in Emma, that Jane Austen adaptation with Anya Taylor-Joy, which I haven't watched because I loathe Jane Austen's writing. But even if Hmm. I didn't, I would not be able to watch that because as soon as Mia Goth walks on screen in a U certificate movie, I'm just thinking, no, hang on, something's wrong here. Yes. (laughs) I I like her a lot. I thought she was great in High Life. I'm a big fan of High Life. Uh, I thought I didn't like A Cure for Wellness as much, but I thought she, you know, really went for it there. She was really good in it. Yeah, and it's... She just waited for that break. Mm. And to think that that break was in an 18 certificate slasher about porn in the 70s. It's kind <laughs> of wild. I mean, this uh, it, it's a testament to how horror has evolved and its mm. position in pop culture, really. Because uh, I'd say yeah, 10 years ago, a movie like this would never exist. 10 years ago, horror in the mainstream, because th- this is a mainstream horror, the way it's being promoted, yeah. the way it's being pushed out, this would never exist. Let alone a female actor get the chance to really sink her teeth into the role. But mm. yeah, it's perfect time, perfect movie for her. I had a um, chilling moment recently when Clapper did a poll um saying, you know, what what's the best female horror performance of the last five years? And I was on there. I was saying, can't believe no one's mentioned Alex Esso in Starry Eyes. Can't believe no one's mentioned uh, Essie Davis in The Babadook. And I thought, those films are eight years old and just had this wow. this moment of chill. But um, So obviously it's yeah. only hereditary in that list. That's not what it has to be because <laughs> people are very boring like that. <laughs> I mean, there there were loads of films I hated on there, but few that I could really uh, say anything bad about the female performance in them. Like, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is great in Mother, but I also don't think there's a part in Mother that she's been given to play. No, it's not a character that she's playing. No. It's very reductive. So yeah, it was won by Lupita Nyong'o for us, by the way, which oh, is only yeah. fair and just. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you say. I think people would not have looked at this as an actor's showcase 10 years ago. Like, I don't think people looked at Alex Esso's performance in Starry Eyes in this way. And I think that is a great, great performance. But I'm mm. really glad that we're at this stage where people 
can look at Mia Goth in X and say that is an actor's showcase because where else is she going to get that? She's not going to she's not going to do a superhero film. She's not mm. going to do too many youth certificate period dramas. This is just the stuff Mia Goth does better than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking there, like, what even was horror in 2012? I just completely stumped myself. I can't remember a single thing. It's funny because horror seems to me to be in this sort of stage of reacting to the last cycle, which is different to how it seems to have been in the past. Like, 80s horror is different from 70s horror, but I don't get the impression that people making 80s horror were doing it because they hated 70s horror and wanted to do something different. Whereas in the 21st century, the first new thing that happens is the torture porn wave. And then you can say that Mumblegore is kind of the reaction to that. It's the low-key slow burn version. And then the Bloomhouse stuff starts coming out shortly after that, which sparks another wave of reaction in the kind of elevated A24 art house horror. Everything just seems to be like rising up against the last version of horror in a way that's kind of interesting. It does make you wonder what's coming next. It does, yeah. It's in a great position, horror. Maybe the best it's ever been. I know that's a bold statement, but just to relate it to X, I mean, horror movies for a long time were basically in that part of the video shop, which was next to all the porn. (laughs) Which is, yeah, appropriate. Maybe that's where a young Ty West had the seed planted for this movie. Maybe. But now, yeah, I mean, I don't think horror's been in as healthy a position as it's ever been. I would absolutely agree. And I think, you know, as I've subtly made clear in my remarks about Ari Aster, I do think a lot of bad, fraudulent work is getting a pass under the tag of elevated horror. But I think when the dust has settled, the final result is that the standard for writing and directing and acting in horror movies has been raised. You can't say, well, it's it's only a horror movie. It's not going to be, you know, an Oscar winner. You can't say yeah. that anymore. Oscars are willfully ignoring great performances in horror. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a elitism thing. That's more than anything, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, in in time it will change. I think there are things that win Oscars now that wouldn't win Oscars like 20, 30 years ago because of that kind of genre snobbery. Yeah. But, yeah, I think think it's strong. I think it starts strongly and ends strongly. My other main problem with it is that I think... I don't want to say it's a bit linear. I don't. I think that horror can be very good when it's absolutely straight ahead. But I think mm. they're just as soon as Pearl and her husband come on screen, you do sort of think, "Ah, right, yes, I see what the problem's going to be here," and nothing really happens that alters that. There's a few secondary threats like the alligator, but most of it is just it plays out as you would expect from the opening reel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not a problem, but at the same time, I enjoyed it, but it's, I don't know, it's like uh, some food that you really, really like. Mm. You eat it, and then 10 minutes later, you've forgotten all about it. It's it's comfort food, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's comfort food. It doesn't do anything that's out of the ordinary. Once you know that this is a slasher and all the cards have been set, it unfolds exactly as you want it to. Yeah, it's got some decently grill, grizzly killings, um, a gunshot blow to the head, a alligator chomping on somebody's head. Some, I mean, even I think people need to learn that they're in a horror movie. You never poke your eyes in the <laughs> holes because you know what's going to happen. <laughs> you just know. Yes, uh, somebody stands on a block of. I mean, it never pulled away from that, so that's an impressive shot. Uh, stands on a block yeah. with a spike on a nail on it, so. It has some decent killings, but <laughs> it's, I don't know, I think maybe this, the goalpost for slashes of, I mean, I'm talking myself out of really liking this, this is, this is weird, but I think the goalpost for slashes has kind of moved on. It's not just, if you put an 80 slasher now and didn't really move the, the needle forward, as they say, which mm-hmm. I don't think X has, it. I don't think it's enough. 
I think slashes have had to evolve in unique and interesting ways to stay even remotely relevant. It's it's kind of what Scream had to react to many occasions, but this is retro in all senses of the words. This is a retro slashes, and it's just being plucked out of that era. And mm. I'm speaking as somebody who doesn't hugely love them. So yeah, I think there yeah. are some almost scream-like moments where they invert slasher morality. The fact that uh, you were saying about the bit with the eyes, it is interesting that the that shot evokes Psycho. It evokes mm. the shot of Norman Bates uh, watching uh, Janet uh, in the shower. Um, yeah. But this time, the person who's watching, the voyeur, is the victim. And similarly, the people who were killed first are the ones who haven't had sex which is obviously a flip on the famously kind of puritan moralism of slasher movies but that's kind of fun but it's also kind of an irrelevant target because no one makes slasher movies unless they're a reboot of something that came out in the plantagenous era (laughs) yes so it's it's kind of weirdly anachronistic really as far as its position Mm. in modern horror and I think sure. for, for some oh, yeah. people, that's part of why they've exploded about it, right? Because if you if you love slashers, you haven't seen it done this well and with an original screenplay in a long time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for the last, what, decade and a half, two decades, mm. it's always been a remake or a reboot. Halloween, yeah. My Bloody Valentine. Uh, oh, there's so many. Nightmare on Elm Street was a remake My as well. My Bloody Valentine is a, a franchise that is sold. It started before the band of the same name <laughs> with is. their infamous 20-year gaps between albums. Yeah, an interesting band. <laughs> but it's, yeah, slashes are such a weird um, thing for me, I think. Because, I mean, I like this a great deal. I, I think I do anyway. I'm really talking myself out of it, but <laughs> I prefer like slashes or any horror really to have more going on besides the violence. And there's a little bit more going on, but not a huge amount. I think I've been spoiled by our amazing new era for body horror, which I've just been enjoying so much, and it's reminded me how much I love that subgenre. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, get back to me when you've got some mutating organs in there. Have you got a body horror summer, Graham? Have you got it? It's, it yeah, I, I've got beach <laughs> body horror ready. Um. <laughs> but I mean, it's fun. I think for X, that's the that is a big part of what you can talk about. It's fun and it moves at a great click. Definitely, yeah. It's like after it finished. Part of me sort of sat back and thought, oh, I thought I wasn't scared by that, but in a strange way, it's not really going for scary. It's a proper roller coaster horror movie, I think. It is, yeah. And it never really stops. I mean it's not like um the problem with so many slashers now is that it spends ooh, over an hour getting to know the characters and then it just kills yeah. them all in like twenty minutes. I think one of the ways that the slasher has evolved rather nicely is it can do both. It can develop yeah. characters and it can kill them at the same time. It doesn't need feel this need to sort of compartmentalise into neat chunks of this bit's character development, that bit's the chase and that bit's the kill. It's just all intermingled mm. and Ty West's done it well. Because mm, you, you yeah. learn about everybody as they are getting all stabbed up. Yes. And, you know, uh, West certainly deserves credit for that, but shout out to his cast as well. I think there's some fantastic people in here. I'm very fond of uh, the uptight cinematographer with his pretensions to be creating high art. It's played by Owen Campbell, who I I knew. I knew that guy from somewhere, and I checked it out, and he's in uh, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, where he he doesn't have a very fun time of it in that movie either. (laughs) Uh, he's been in a few bits. Um, Kid mm. Cudi as well, which I'm assuming is a prosthetic because he's, he's packing <laughs> some heat, if not. Uh, it is quite interesting, isn't it? And I'm, uh, I, I remember sort of thinking about this because we're, we're 
as we record this, uh, we're just one day after the release of both Don't Worry Darling and Blonde. So uh, listeners, if, if my voice is muffled, it's because I'm drowning in the fucking hot takes that these two <laughs> movies have produced. Okay. Uh, but I thought that would get a bit more backlash that like all of the fun nudity in the early part of the film where it's sort of sexy and free-spirited as all the women and when it's time for the horror, that's when the dongs come out. So I thought yes. maybe that might draw a bit more negative attention these days, but apparently it doesn't bother anyone. Uh, Who knows? Uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, boogie Nights-like. <laughs> Well, there is an explicit nod to Boogie Nights at the start, isn't there, with uh, Maxine talking to herself in the mirror? I can't remember. Is there? Yeah, she's she's at the start where she's saying, you're a fucking sex symbol. It felt very much like Mark oh, Wahlberg saying, yeah, big, yeah. bright, shining star to himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting double bill, that, isn't it? That would be an interesting double bill. Yeah, I don't know which you'd put on first. It's... Uh... Hmm. Yeah. Kid Cootie, though, um, I didn't know what to expect from him. I think the only time I've saw him act is that very odd extended appearance he has in Bill and Ted Face the Music as himself, yeah. where he is just there to get his ass kissed in that movie. I thought like everyone <laughs> just talks about how amazing Kid Cootie is all the time, uh, as though it were 2010 or yeah. something. It, it, he doesn't deserve it, let's be honest. <laughs> It, not, yeah, not, not to it, present my opinion in snide remarks, but yeah, you don't deserve it. I don't dislike his work, but he hasn't registered for me. I, I, I looked up like the dates of his first album and everything uh, in research for this podcast, and it was about 2008. And I thought, oh, that makes sense because the 2000s were like the all-time worst era for hip-hop. And it makes sense that people would just cling to anyone who was trying to do something at least a bit thoughtful. Yeah, because as a rapper, he's pretty poor. Mm. Um, he stylistically, he's not quite rapping and he's not quite singing. It's kind of somewhere in the middle, and yeah, it's it's just vanilla. His style is very vanilla. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that he, a good word for it. The fact that he's done songs with Ariana Grande, um, and he did a song for the soundtrack of Sonic the Hedgehog Two, it kind of expresses his position in music. It's not as an, an artist; <laughs> it's as a commodity. I mean, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He unlike many sort of thoughtful rappers from around that time or sort of wannabe deep rappers he did not get too caught up in Kanye West's bullshit like he's not someone like Chance the Rapper who now just exists to apologize for Kanye West for some reason (laughs) well he gets his niche I suppose I mean you're never not busy if that's your line of work you'll always have something to do he has that whole sort of Will Smith had in decades ago, sort of inoffensive, <laughs> inoffensive, fluffy rap that you know your parents can like. Yeah, but his uh, his film career has included a few slightly bigger swings. He was in We Are Who We Are, the um, Luca Guadagino mini series, which I thought was pretty ambitious, and I think he's good in this. You know, there's never a point where I was watching him where you have that sort of sense of ah, one of these people didn't go to Juilliard sense that you sometimes get (laughs) when you're watching pop stars in movies Yeah, I mean a a fellow rapper um, Ice Ice Cube it's just, oh that's just Ice Cube what's Ice Cube doing here? (laughs) And he's had some good movies but they are the ones where you can tell people have started off with right, what does Ice Cube do in a movie and built it out from there Mm. He's angry. He's an angry black man. There we go. There's a movie. We've got it. What, what's that Christy the Clown quote? Angry, angry young man. Yes. Inc- incredible rapper, though, but he's angry. He's an angry boy. Um, but yeah, Kid Cudi, <laughs> he, he's, he's fine. It's yeah. He's kind of a gateway drug for people in uh, maybe harder stuff in hip-hop. But like I say, in, in this, I think he's, uh, he's very solid indeed. He does he good work. 
Yes, thankfully not that sort of solid because I don't think I could have took that, you know, just in my horror movie. But um... <laughs> when you say I couldn't have took that, well, yeah, it's a poor choice of words, maybe. But... I mean, in both senses, I suppose. Yeah, but um, he, yeah, he's a good leading man. Because yeah, I guess that's yeah. what he is, really, isn't he? He is the leading man. And I just wish, uh, you know, I suppose it's a credit to him that I wish they could have gone deeper into it. There's a whole strand in pleasure about how black people are sort of commodified and portrayed in porn that I thought was really interesting. And it's it's one of those things where everyone knows it, but no one will say it. I, I don't know why it feels like as porn becomes more prevalent and more inescapable, people talk about it less. But uh, I thought that was really good. And I would love to have heard, just, just seen a bit more of this story from the viewpoint of a black guy in this industry at this time. But His character's an interesting time. one. Because uh, yeah. he's in porn and the gag is black men have big wangs. But let's be honest, if you're in porn, everybody has a big wang. That's why you're in yes. porn. Um, but he's a Vietnam vet. That's his character. Yeah, there's like little snippets of it. Um, he says, uh, "I serve." Well, once you're a, a marine, you're always a marine, and uh, I fought for my country, so now I can do stuff like this. There's sort of like little snippets of who he is and what his characterization is. So he's he has something to work with. He just didn't turn up rough like an animal and then wait to get his head blown off. So he he has some meat to his character. Completely, yeah, and I think it's a lovely little telling touch that when they're asked about uh, Vietnam, their white director managed to get out of the draft, but Kid Cudi's character obviously couldn't. I just, I wish there were a few more grace notes like that. I don't want it to grind to a halt so people can discuss the ethics of pornography or race in Vietnam, no, but no. I, I just wanted a couple more little touches like that. Yeah. Um, it separates the characters a bit too quickly. That's kind of the point of... Mm. Well, it's double-edged sword. You want a horror movie to get to the point. But when it's presented these characters as as interesting, they are all interesting. Um, is it Ari- Jenny Ortega? She's interesting because she's like a, they call the church mouse. Um, yeah. But she becomes compelled by their sort of um, lifestyle, their, their freedom that they do it while they can do it. And the Kid Cudi, again, there's the mm. the leader, the producer, who's interesting just because he's kind of a, found a new reason for being, a new point of life, because he seems to have yeah. gone through some hard times in his past. Mia Goth, again, she's insistent that she's going to be famous. Um, mm. Everybody's got their own little bait, which is compelling, and maybe a little bit more time spent on that before... You know, um, weird age phobic horror starts <laughs> taking effect. Maybe, maybe the solution to this is that you and me write and direct the reverse of this: that we make a movie where old people are completely justified in killing all of the young bastards who are making their life a misery. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, I don't know how to round this off. I, I just want to tell people to watch Pleasure by Ninja Thyberg. I think it's a great movie. Um, was that out this year? It was out this year. Uh, I would I would have loved to cover it on an episode of Pop Screen. Let me just cast the types' names into Google to see what else they've done. Maybe one of them's a sick... Oh, my God. Right. Close that tab. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah... Um, it's a great movie, and yeah, I, I like Dex. I, I think it's. Uh, I am a bit sceptical of some of the more extravagant reactions it's got. I don't think it's our generation's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No. But it's, it's a good surprise. Coming from Ty West, it's not what I expected. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting sort of um, as a career arc, because um, you could make the argument that in his early days he spent way too much time on, on characterization and not enough time mm. on horror and now he's gone the complete opposite end of the spectrum where he spends <laughs> a lot of time on the horror and not much time on the character development so maybe i don't know pearl um or uh, maxine it sort of um squares that equation a little bit and equalizes those two factors because both yeah. parts are good but i think it's just 
I like these characters. I want to know them a little bit more before you kill them graphically. It could be interesting watching him do a horror movie where you've seen the ca- part of the character set up at least. I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, because I'm assuming like, Pearl is the name of the bad guy and that takes place in 1910, like I said. So I'm assuming mm. Maxine takes place after the events of of X. So... Wait, apparently it's going to uh, carry the Boogie Nights theme forward and have her try in the ACs trying to get into the video market. Okay. So that could be fun, I think. So it takes place in 79, doesn't it, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that could be interesting. It's it's a fun movie, but it's one of these movies yeah. where the more you, you, you think about it, the less it sort of holds weight, I think. I think your comfort food analogy was pretty on the money, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you watch it and you regret it after you've ate it, but it was tasty, but... yeah that that's ty west sex a very fascinating movie that has to be balanced out with some rigorous exercise uh yes (laughs) but that's that's the first salvo in pop screens halloween month and the next one will be tomorrow when uh we've got a triple header for our patreon backers as me aiden and jeff get together to discuss Monster Dog, the film that finally answers the question, what would an Alice Cooper movie from the director of Troll 2 actually be like? Yeah, you froze there, so just... Oh, okay, yeah, I'll take that again in case it's... uh, I think the line doesn't look good either, yeah. Yeah, so that's it for this episode of Pop Screen and also the first salvo in our Halloween month. We'll be back with another free episode in two weeks' time. But if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get an exclusive episode tomorrow with Aidan, Jeff and me getting together to review Monster Dog, the film that answers the question, what would an Alice Cooper movie from the director of Troll 2 actually be like? That's That's a combo. I'm sorry you've this to yourself, really. <laughs> I've made this rod for my back and I'm fine with it. It can't be worse than, uh, what is it, Bula Quo? It can't be worse than that. Yeah, it's after Bula Quo, the only way is up. But yes, until then, uh, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. I've been Graham. And I've been Rob. And we'll see you later.